the Lord has put on both Sally, my wife, and I's heart that 2015 was practice time. 2016 was warm-ups. 2017, it's game time. What do we mean by that? We believe that God is going to transform some lives so significantly. The word change appears, or in some uh, variation, change, changing, uh, changes, appears nearly 100 times in the Bible, 83 that I could find to be exact. But the word transformation appears far less I've only been able to locate five different uh, uses of that word. And the reason being is because change means a change in uh, geographic location, change maybe positionally, but the word transformation is a little bit more profound because it speaks to what God is doing on the inside long before it ever manifests on the outside. And so I believe God wants to change some things. As I looked and I prayed and I've gotten to know each of you guys, I say God has brought you so far. But I'm just here to say this morning, and I know I'm going to maybe make some of you upset, but God is not done with you yet. Amen? God has so much more, and it's like we've been sort of sitting on the fringes waiting for God to move and do something within us. And I want to share with you this morning three truths that God, I believe, are trustworthy. And they're on the back of your bulletin. But before we ever dig into man's words or Lee's words, we're going to dig into God's words. Man, y'all should be shouting all over this place. Because I believe, I, I, I genuinely believe that God, his words are way more trustworthy than a preacher. They're way more trustworthy. I'm just doing my level best to get as close to saying what God has already said. And so really, each week, you get up here and hear commentary, man's interpretation. But the housekeeping issue is this. As Sally and I started to pray and hear from God and listen with eye, or to see with eyes to hear uh, uh, what God was up to and ears with what God was saying, we sensed that transformation was going to begin to take place in covenant not a transformation back to what we used to be, but to a transformation of something God is going to do in our hearts, in our lives, that we can't even imagine. How many want to be transformed in a new way? Not an old way. Not the, I tasted that, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking, you sit there and you taste something for the first time and you're like, man, it's like your spiritual taste buds are going to explode in 2017. That's what God wants to do. And so we just need to hang on. It also means that we're going to start putting emphasis on certain things. One of the things I began to struggle with is saying, God, are we being great stewards of your time with your people on Sunday mornings? 
And I began to say, God, we want to keep our people informed. We want to communicate what God is doing, where we're going. We want to set forth a great vision. And yet we want to steward that time well. But God also began to tell me, listen, leave. You're going to allow me to do what I've been doing literally for thousands of years. You got to get out of the way. And so what that means is this service on Sunday mornings is going to start to feel a little bit different. And here's how it's going to look. Some of you guys, I shared this at the end of 2016. But here's how our Sunday morning services are going to start looking. And we don't have a hard date, but we're aiming for this. We're going to put more emphasis on worship and more emphasis on the word of God. Because we believe worship plus the word should equal a response. Amen? Should equal a response. And we don't want to say every response is going to be the same way. But what we do want to believe for, because we've seen it in the past, is when we worship the King of Kings, when we say, as I said, opening, when we open up our mouths and we magnify the Lord and we all do it corporately, something changes in the atmosphere. Now, some of you guys don't think, oh, okay, he's getting all weird. Yes, I'm getting weird. But I'm getting biblical. So worship, we're going to extend our worship time. And so when the worship team comes up and they ask you to lift your hands, we're going to start lifting our hands. When the worship team says, hey, we want to invite you down here to the altar, we're going to respond. When the word of God tells us to do certain things throughout the week, we're going to respond. And ultimately, we're going back and we're going to do this thing old school. Here's what I mean by this. We don't call it old school anymore. We don't even call it old. We call it, <clears throat> watch this, vintage. <laughs> vintage means we're going to recapture the beauty of the past. And so unbeknownst to most of you guys, there has been a group of believers, and some of you guys are a part of this, who have been praying since the end of 2016, and they've been praying for you, and they've been praying for us, and they've been praying for those people who don't know Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? They have been praying that God would open up the heavens and that we would respond. And this prayer team, you're going to start seeing them strategically placed throughout our service, and they're going to pray for you. But here's the biggest charge that I'm giving to them. My prayer of Matthew 13, 16 is this. It says that the people would have eyes to see and that the people would have ears to hear what God is doing. I have released that prayer team not only to pray and come up and agree with you during times of what is traditionally known as an altar call. But I believe that God is going to start giving them words and they're going to be dispatched to your side and start praying and agreeing with you even during times of worship. So you don't never know 
You don't never know. Excuse me, that's not proper English. You will not know when somebody will say to you, listen, I don't know what you're walking through this week, but as I was praying, you came to my heart, and I just want to pray with you. You guys open for that? You guys want to see what God can do in our hearts and our lives, and we as a church. So let's jump into transformation time, hashtag, excuse me, I'm sorry, Brian, hashtag transformation time 2017. Joshua chapter 1, as we read the word of God, and it says this, now it came about after the death of Moses that the servant of the Lord, everybody say, I'm a servant, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, or Moses' servant, saying the following. Verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. How many want to step on some things and begin to possess the land? Begin to possess some things. In other words, walking, parents are going to start walking into their children's bedrooms and they are going to take back their house. Uh-oh. But you can't do it with earthly means. You can't do it by battling in the flesh. You're going to begin to battle in the spirit. You're going to begin to speak some things over your children that they don't even know is happening, but God is going to begin to transform them from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Verse 4, watch this. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No man will be able to stand before you. Why? Because Joshua is strong? No, 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 no. Because God is strong. So no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will also be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to your forefathers or your fathers to give them. And then verse 7 and 8 is where the rubber meets the road. Verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from this law that I am giving you to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Do not turn from it. See, the problem with the church is not that the church is ineffective. The problem with the church is we've turned to lights and technology to do the power that we, or to demonstrate the power that we were called to walk in. We've relegated our position to technology. In verse 8, it says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is according, or excuse me, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this morning. And I pray that you would be with us for the, the time remaining. I pray that you would begin a good work within us even yesterday. Why do you say yesterday? Because yesterday's gone. I say yesterday, God, because you are not limited by a 24-hour clock. Just like you can speak into our future, you can also speak into our past. And my prayer is that all of us would get a hold of new truths and begin to be transformed in a way that we haven't been transformed in a long time. Thank you for all that you're up to, all that you've been up to, and all that you're going to do in the future. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are three things I want to share with you just briefly in our time remaining. There are three truths that I want to give you, but before I share those truths, and they're on the back of your bulletin, um, so you can see that they're the Word of God, the power of God, and the Son of God. There was a movie that came out in 1976. I know some of you young jitterbugs are saying, oh my goodness, that's ancient times ago. But for some of us who are a little more, we take up more real estate than we did in our 20s. For some of us, this movie came out in 76, two years before I was born, or two years after I was born, excuse me. And I don't know if in this movie it was the storyline that made that movie so great. I don't know if it was the musical score that made that movie so great, or if I don't know, or I don't know if it was the actors. But this movie was a great movie, and it really resonates even today. And the last time I saw it, I was reminded of a scene that jumped out. That movie was Rocky. Oh, so last week y'all didn't know about UFC, but y'all know about two guys beating each other up. What's wrong with you guys? In 1976, Rocky came out, and there's one scene that really, really resonates to me even this day. And it was the scene, and he's sitting with his girlfriend, Adrian, and he's been given the chance of a lifetime to take on the world champion, Apollo Creed, and he knows that he's outmatched. I said he knows that he's outmatched. And he looks at Adrian, and they're talking, and he says, all I want to do is to go the distance and prove to myself that I'm not just some bum from the neighborhood. All I want to do is to be able to go the distance. If you remember the storyline is this. Rocky, he, he was a talented young amateur boxer, and he had all this talent. But the moment it got hard, he gave up, 
and he took to being a low-life uh, bookie, and he made gambling debts. And in this chance of a lifetime, he's been confronted by himself. He's been confronted by that old gentleman who played his trainer. And he, on the eve of that fight, he's sitting there and he knows that he's outmatched. But he says, all I want to do is to go the distance. I want to give you three truths that will help you go the distance this morning. The truth is the word of God the power of God, and the Son of God. Three truths that will help us walk in transformation. The first is the Word of God. Young Joshua has just been given leadership of a million people who have been circling the desert for 40 years, and he's about ready to cross over into the land. And Moses has passed away, and God is confronting Joshua, and he tells them something in verses 7 and 8. He says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do, watch this, all according to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you. In other words, do not turn away from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. And then in verse 8, he says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. <clears throat> the problem is not that the word doesn't work anymore. It's the word is not in the people of God like it used to be. Now, I'm not saying that we don't read our Bibles. I'm not saying that we don't do our devotions. I'm saying that the word of God is no longer our primary source. And so you have preachers who download YouTube, YouTube sermons from other preachers to get a word from the Lord. You have people who are running around checking out conferences from all over the people just because they're charismatic in their presentation of the gospel, but they've relegated the gospel. Listen, I'm here to tell you the same power that speaks through men and women of God all over the world is the same power that's available to us. And what God is telling young Joshua is remember the book, and we know it as the Torah, or in the Greek, it's the Pentateuch. Remember the book that Moses has given you, and study, and let that be your primary source. I can look in my own life as a preacher, in just a moment of transparency, I can look in my own life, and I can tell as I ebb and flow, I can tell where the book becomes academic in my life, and I can also tell where it becomes living and breathing in my life. Because when it becomes living and breathing, I don't care what you guys think about me. And I'm going to preach just to make you upset, just to say what God has said. But when it becomes academic, I'm trying to impress you on Sunday mornings. 
See, it's the foolishness of this book that holds the power of this book. And my, my contention is to ask you one question. Is this book academic or is it sacred? What is it to you? Because I know what, it, what God meant it for it to be to us. He gave this book to be everything that we need it to be. But in telling you, the church has somehow relegated. We have more Bibles on preachers' shelves than we have Bibles, I mean, preachers reading those Bibles. But I wonder, in my life, let me just be honest, are we reading the Bible or is the Bible reading us? Because I'm convinced when you start reading this book from cover to cover, it begins to, you're, you don't read it like, okay, that's something I can say on Sunday morning. You read it like this. Ooh. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, one person. You read it like this. Ooh. Oh. And you feel like you're in a battle of your life because what God is trying to do is to work that flesh, that pride, that anger, that the, the things of the, uh, of the world, and he wants to work it into us. And that's why when it becomes a living, breathing uh, uh, sword and resource, we approach it differently. See, most of us read the Bible to fix somebody else. I saw one person nodding their head. Thank you, Miss Lisa. Most of us read this book to fix our children. Most of us read this book to fix somebody on the other side politically. Most of us read this book to condone or condemn the world who doesn't know Jesus and to justify ourselves. Listen, this book should open you up, beat your butt, and then put you back together again. That's what it does. And that's how we should approach it. And Joshua is being encouraged. Trust in the word of God. In fact, he says three different things in verse 7 and 8 that I just want to share with you. The first thing he says when you're trusting the word of God is, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now, I don't know in the world we live in where technology is everything, we don't know scripture anymore. I mean, we don't memorize scripture. Let me say it that way. We don't memorize scripture. Last week, I had the most interesting thing happen to me. We we're getting ready for the youth, and uh, we were gathered around, and Jock and Laura Ann were walking us through. They were game planning us. <clears throat> and I shared with Tim, I said, hey, Tim, um, the, the passage I'm going to focus on, one of our elders, I said, hey, Tim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share from Proverbs 17, 17. And immediately Tim knew exactly what verse I was talking about. Sort of scared me. I was like, whoa. And here's what he said. He said, yeah, I remember that. I think my parents made me memorize that scripture. But you put on the song. And we all know songs from secular artists. 
We know the songs. If I were to start humming some of those melodies, you would know them. We need to meditate on this book and not let it depart from our mouth. The second thing we should do is we should always uh, meditate on the word of God. So the first one was the book of the law shall never depart from our mouth. In other words, it has to come a time where we're going to put this book back in its rightful place, even in the evangelical church 2017. Because God's people aren't hungry for the word of God anymore. In fact, most churches don't even know how to properly listen for the word of God. Because they're listening for personality. They're listening for charisma. They're listening to, oh, you told me I'm going to be the head and not the tail. Well, listen, the reason why we've been the tail for so long is because we'd rather listen to preachers than the word of God. But when the word of God comes forth, we can say yes and amen. We've fallen for a self help gospel which is really no gospel at all there's only one gospel there's only one christ there's only one lord and we've allowed our preferences to take over we shall meditate it on the word of god that's the second thing he instructs us what does it mean to meditate on the word of god Here's the best definition of meditation I've ever heard. I don't know what meditation is, but when you're doing it, you're never the same again. I don't know what meditation is, but when you're doing it, you're never the same again. I caught myself recently meditating. Wish I could say it was on the word of God, but it wasn't. I've picked out a certain car that I want. And I was meditating on that car. I mean, I was reading the word of God, but I got to read the Carfax report and, and I got to check and I'm checking on, on, on how much do tires cost and I'm checking on all these different things and I'm checking on gas mileage and I'm texting different people in the triangle and I'm saying, hey, you have the same engine and, and all those things, but I wasn't meditating on it. Here's what I don't want you to ever become. When you hear pastors say, meditate on it day and night, what it means is you think on the things of God first and foremost, and primarily. So in other words, you, you respond to the world by what the word of God is saying to you. I got to give you an example of this. <clears throat> Turn to the book of Deuteronomy 13. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, we're going to look at the first five verses. If you don't know where the book of Deuteronomy is, you're in Joshua now, go east. Or should I say west? Yeah, that's west. Deuteronomy 13. You guys still alive back there? All right. Deuteronomy 13. <clears throat> this is how important the word of God is. I want to teach you something right quick. I'm going to take a little rabbit trail. Deuteronomy 13 says this. It's talking about idolatry and prophecy. I believe in the prophetic. Let me just say that. 
Because if you're in here and you're like, what kind of church, where's the pastor at? When it, I still believe God speaks pro prophetically. Anybody else in the room? I still believe that. But listen how God instructs the nation of Israel to treat prophecy. <clears throat> if a prophet, in verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder. In other words, if a prophet or a dreamer comes up and says, hey, I've got a, a dream. God has given me a word and it arises. Verse 2, he says, and the sign or the wonder comes true. Everybody say true. Let's take baby steps. Someone comes up and they say, I got a word of God for you. And the word comes true. Accept it or not. You ever thought about that? Who said that? John Weeks. <clears throat> Tested against what? Man, I got goosebumps when they prophesied over me. After all, that must make it true, right? God has told Moses that people will come up and say they have a prophetic word. And this is just one example, but it's a, it's a very real example. It says, if the prophet comes up or the dreamer says, I have a word, and the sign or wonder, verse 2, comes true concerning which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, he said, whether it comes true or not, that is not the litmus test by which we say, thus saith the Lord. And for far too long, listen, it, it exists within my family. I'll never forget the first time I met my sister-in-law. She looked at me and she said, give me a word. Uh, it's cold outside? And you know people like this. And for far too long, the only litmus test, and it shows the lack of wisdom in the body of Christ, the only litmus test is it either happened or, done, or it didn't happen. So let me, let me preach. Let me step all over your toes. If your political candidate got into office because some prophet or someone had a dream or said so, that is not the test by which God designs. The test that God has is, verse 4, you, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. So in other words, I've just given you one example why it is necessary for the word of God to be in the heart and the people in the, or the children of God. The word of God, it's trustworthy. But if you don't know this, you'll just be looking with earthly eyes. Oh, it came true, so therefore it must be of God. False. Listen, the devil gives prophecy too. 
He will prophesy something that you want. I got that car I was researching. Oh, so God must be with me. Fooey. The word of God. That's why you have to meditate and be careful to do all that's according. The second point I want to mention is always trust in the power of God. Turn over to Joshua chapter 3. I know we're kind of moving fast, but Joshua chapter 3. It's about to get better. How many people know this story about what's about to happen? Joshua, thanks, friend. Joshua chapter 3. They're sitting on the bank of the river, and God's about to give them or take them into the promised land. Look what happens. For all you Bible scholars out there, bear with me. Then Joshua, verse 1, rose early in the morning. No, let me pick it up at verse 7. Excuse me. If you'll drop down to verse 7, it says this. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. <clears throat> Commentary from Lee Thomas. Pre the Holy Spirit working in me, God the people will know that you're with me because there's a lot of them here. The people will know that you're with me because they're shouting me down saying amen. It has nothing to do with what God's after. That's only the benefit of God and what he allows. He says, I want to be with you. Verse 8, it comes and it says, You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua, verse 9, said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. There it is. Too many of us are trying to say God is is with me instead of God is with us. What does it matter if God is with a few key people in this church, but he's not with us Monday through Saturday? What does it matter if we're having amazing services, but we're not living on mission, on purpose, Monday through Saturday, so that the world may know? You heard my wife say at the end of worship, listen, it's a dark world out there. I thought that once the election happened, everything would be settled. I was convinced of it. It's only gotten worse. And we have a chance to step into it. If you look at the landscape of America, just our country, if you look at the landscape of just Raleigh, I believe this morning there are going to be some people who are going to step into the river of their city. And you're about to see God do something that only God can do. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord is crossing over ahead of you. Now went, or excuse me, now then take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. Verse 13, it shall come about when the soles of your feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters 
which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. You see this stupid look on my face? I can't even explain this. This goes against the laws of physics. And I don't know if God used, you know, maybe there was some sand that stood up and God made a dam. Or if God looked at the water and he froze the water. Or if the water was still water and it just stood up. Listen, water doesn't stop flowing downstream, but it stood up in a heap, the Bible says. That which is natural, that which is the things that flow are going to continue to flow. But if we will step into the water, if, church, who am I speaking to? Who am I preaching at this morning where you've been, it's cold, it's at flood stage. Who, for the first time in 2017, you're about to step into the water You've been waiting all these years for the water to stop flowing, and then you're going to step in. But God is asking you this morning to step in by faith and then let him move. And I know there's somebody in here who is ready to step in the water, and I just want to tell you, step into it, baby. Step into it. Step into it. And watch what God is about to, to do. In verse 14 it says, So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, in verse 15, And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks at harvest. In other words, it was at flood stage. Verse 16, the waters were flowing down from above and they stood and rose up in one heap. See, we're trying to fix the world through political means. We're trying to fix the world through social means. It's time the people of God say, listen, I'm going to look like a buffoon, but I know my God will not forsake me. And I'm about to step out on faith. I, I thought, I got to get the people primed up. But listen, I'm done priming you. It's time we start stepping out on faith. Quit waiting to be excited to start moving. Quit waiting to be challenged to start moving and just move because God who is within you is greater than anything else in this world. We need to move and trust in the power of God. We need to move the same power that was available to Joshua and that was available to Moses and that was available in a sling through a young shepherd boy named David. The same power that's why it says in the New Testament, greater works shall we do than those of our forefathers. I remember being at home one night, and I got a message, a, little, a private message from Stuart on Facebook 
saying, these were the challenges that I was dealing with. Did I have any resources? And I just felt compelled. Yes, I'll give you some resources. But listen, those resources don't hold a candle to what God has commissioned you to do. And that's something we all can walk in, not because we feel it. How many feel, people feel like praising God this morning? Wow. How many people feel like cl clapping your hands for God this morning? How many people feel like clapping your hands for God this morning? How many people feel like getting up on your feet and saying, I'm here to worship the King of Kings. Let's get up on our feet and just worship God because he's worthy. Quit waiting for me to be done. And let's say, it's already done. It's already done and we worship you, God. We worship you. We give you praise. We give you praise. Come on, 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. We're worshiping the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. God, yeah, it's already done. It's already done. It's already done. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. I want to, and you can be seated. I want to get back to the point when I was a young preacher and I was stupid enough to believe God could take care of my talent because I didn't have any. And some of you guys, I heard it. I heard it. You said, you don't have any now. I heard it. But I used to act on faith and not on what I brought into the pulpit that morning. Because it got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anyway. And I watched God do mighty things. Mighty things because I trusted in the power of God. Will you trust in the power of God? Will you trust Covenant Church in the power of God? Will you trust, Mom, that if you speak truth over your child, that they will respond and that God is moving on your behalf through your words, through your obedience, even if your child is still acting crazy? Will you trust the power of God? And then finally, will you trust in the Son of God? Because I'm here to tell you, if we will trust in the Word of God, say amen. If we will trust in the power of God, say amen. We can trust in the Son of God. Always trust in the Son of God. This last passage I'm going to read through, it's a, it's, a, it's a wee bit more complicated, but we're going to try to take some of the mystery around, and we're only going to fill in the blanks of what we do know. Watch this. <clears throat> the Word of God proves the Word of God. I just told you a trustworthy statement. Lee doesn't prove the word of God. Your favorite preacher doesn't prove the word of God. The word of God proves the word of God. <clears throat> and so let's look in Joshua chapter 5, three verses that I just want to share with you. We've looked at the word of God. We've looked at the power of God. And now I just want to talk to you quickly about the son of God. 
And we're going to approach it this way. Let me read it first and then add some thoughts. Now, it came about when Joshua was, was by Jericho. In other words, they're about to go conquer their first city. It's their first war campaign, and they believe that God has given them the city of Jericho. And God calls Joshua out by himself, or he sees an event that only God allowed him to see as the leader, as the leader, as the leader. I'm not saying that so you can look at me. I'm saying that so you can realize that God has called you to be the leader that you are. And if you didn't have what it takes to be there, then he'll give you everything else. And so there's this event that sort of happens and it's a little strange, but I believe that in this room, I stand before, watch this, I stand before kings and queens this morning. I stand before kings and queens this morning. I don't stand with, in front of timid people. I stand in front of warriors. And oftentimes, God will take a warrior who's a leader off and show them something that he is not allowing anybody else to see. When God began to stir Sally and I's heart near the end of 2016, it's easy for me to say, hey, what do you think God's going to do in 2017? What's a word or phrase that describes it? That was a bad impression. <laughs> God began to stir our hearts and we were at an event with all the elders in the room, and we were sharing what we were believing for. And everybody went around the room and different people, and we were saying belief and power and a visitation and salvation. And God allowed one person to say clearly, I'm believing God for transformation. And immediately I knew that's what it is. And I didn't stop that meeting and say, hey, guys, I think that's it. I just kept on going because God wants to get you over off to yourself so he can do a work. Quit depending. And I'm not saying we don't need them because last week I talked about the importance of having an accountability partner. Quit depending on someone else to validate what God has shown you in private. That's a word this morning. That's a word this morning. Quit depending on others to validate what God has shown you in private. So he's about to, we're about to see in a, a private moment. In verse 13 it says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him, with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? In other words, Joshua wanted to basically know, Are you friend or are you foe? And watch the response that this person or just watch the response in verse 14. He said, no, rather I came or I come now as captain of the Lord 
of the, or excuse me, as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? Verse 15, the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Boy, I could preach that for weeks because there is so much truth in that. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or against us? The body of Christ has spent so much time wondering, are people for us or against us? And this angelic being, or some say it's a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ, and that's a whole nother uh, sermon in itself. Was it, for, was it Christ? Was it God? What, whatever it was, the encounter that needed to take place could only take place by a heavenly encounter, not by a Sunday morning encounter. Boy, that was good. Joshua, by a heavenly encounter. Y'all think I'm crazy, I know. But so long we've been seeking Sunday morning encounters. When God wants to encounter you in his time, not your program or your, okay, God, I'm going to fit you in. I'm praying, watch this. Here's my prayer. I'm praying that God starts to wake some of you guys up in the middle of the night and you cannot go back to sleep. The NyQuil is not going to be enough. I want him to encounter you in such a profound way. And it's not meant to be spiritual or goosebumpy or, or any of those things. You just need an encounter. And three things happen when we encounter God off to ourselves. The first thing is that this angelic being doesn't even answer his question. Have you noticed that? Have you ever seen that? He says, are you friend or are you foe? Are you for us? Are you going to come to covenant or are you going to go somewhere else? Because after all, that's how I'm going to decide if I'm going to treat you, fellow brother or, or sister, whether you come to my group or not. And he says, are you friend or foe? And this person stands up and he says, nope. Nope, you're not for me or nope, you're not against me. Nope. Because the word of God, when it comes to you, it oftentimes will answer what you need, not what you're asking for. It will ask or it will answer. And so the three truths that I pulled out, and maybe you're going to get something different, but the three truths that I pull out from this scripture is sometimes God will not answer my request because I've been too busy asking the wrong questions. God, are you going to send people to covenant? Nope. So does that mean you are or are you waiting? Nope. Because you're asking the wrong questions. What questions are you asking that you're not getting an answer for? Or maybe sometimes God doesn't answer by saying nope. Sometimes you're not hearing God. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want to speak to you. Sometimes he just wants to know. 
Are you going to keep asking or are you going to change your questions? If you're a parent in the room, you know what it's like to be bombarded by children asking questions. <laughs> Mom, can I? Dad, can I? And see, what that child, they just want an immediate answer right then to their world. And as a parent, you're up there in your head playing chess. Well, if I tell him yes, but his brother asked earlier and I told him no, and no, because he and we're about to eat dinner at a certain, and you're playing this game of Mancala up in your head and you're moving the marbles. Okay, there's some parents in the room. Sometimes, maybe we just need to be patient, or maybe we need to say, God, what questions should I really be asking? The second truth I just want to leave with you this morning is, Joshua did another thing that I think we, have, we don't do much anymore. In that encounter, he went from saying, are you for me or against me? And he asked the angelic visitor. And again, I don't want to get into the weeds of was it Christ? Was it? He asked this question. What does the Lord have to say to my servant? In other words, God, what do you really want to deal with? Sometimes God wants to work on us. And the reason why people aren't changing is because he's got to change some, some ooky stuff within us. You know, the stuff that, <laughs> those things that as long as everything you've had, you got a full belly, you've had your coffee in the morning, and everything, you got the kids off, but the real us comes out when we're hangry, hangry, hungry, and angry. Anyway. You know, that real us. Instead, we need to fall flat on our faces and say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You see this purple strip that lines the carpet? Or the sanctuary, excuse me. All the way around. That thing is getting a workout. Because I've been in here saying, God, what do you want me to teach and preach on Sunday mornings? And God is like, listen. I need to do something before you even step into the platform, Joker. Maybe that's what God wants to do. So he falls on his face. The angelic visitor, he didn't answer the question. And then the last thing is we need to start removing our sandals. For the ground when God speaks. For some of you, it's in your morning drive into the triangle or RTP. Some of us need to turn off the secular stations and not replace it with another preacher. We need to replace it with God. Some of us have been in uh, wherever your prayer room is at. And I want to encourage you to get a prayer room. Talk to one person. They said their prayer room is in their bathtub. And I'm like, okay. But it makes sense because there is a place, watch this, where they intentionally go on a regular basis to meet with God, and it's not Sunday mornings. Do you have a place where God is designated holy in your life?
want to encourage you this morning to hold on to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And what that simply says is this. Look at me. We do not fight as the world fights. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And later on that verse says, and we take captive and we pull down every stronghold in our life and in this world that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Joshua was ready to war in the natural. The visitation spoke to the supernatural before the Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I'm going to share something once we get done. But God, for the people in this room who have depended on other things besides the Word of God, other things besides the power of God, other things besides the Son of God, and they're still going around in circles and they're like, God, why am I not moving forward? Because I know it's a promise. It is a guarantee. I can stand on it more than anything. If we read the word of God and this book returns to a place of sacred appreciation, we will be more than anything else we can do from the outside in because you change us from the inside out. And so I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus Christ, you heard me talking all this stuff and you want to know Jesus, would you simply pray this prayer with me? You can say it to yourself or you can say it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. But Lord, I'm going to make you first. I'm going to put you back into a place of prominence. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to start for the first time taking off my shoes, which show humility. So God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who's discouraged this morning, if there's anybody saying, Pastor Lee, I want to get closer to God, then this is your morning this is your Monday, and this is your Tuesday, this is your Wednesday, and your Thursday, and your Friday, and your Saturday. For the God of the new covenant is not a God who remains in buildings. It's a God who remains in us. Lord, I pray that you would send these people out of here with power and authority that not does not come from what they bring to the table, but the power and authority that's only found. One, first of all, in the word of God. Second of all, it's in the power of God. And thirdly, in the son of God. So may we be your servants dispatched all throughout North Raleigh. In Jesus' name we pray and let the church say amen. We love you guys. Y'all have a great week.